Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing World Cup winning Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen agog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Manchester United Redcast with me, Chris Curley. And what a wonderful day it is to be a Manchester United fan. So joining me, there is no one better to discuss the events at White Hart Lane this week than Mr Ben Paul. Ben, welcome. Well, thank you very much. No, there is nobody better. I genuinely agree. There is nobody better. Of course, especially on a day when we could be in a, um, having our hair cut being in a beer garden, celebrating. We could be going to a bookstore to look at the greatest history of Manchester United. All these things we can now do. I don't know, but did you did it snow where you were this morning? No, no, I'm in the north. We've had, we, we have snow further, further north. It was snowing around me this morning. <laughs> yes, obviously London freaked out and got on the gram as soon as they could to go, ooh, snow in April. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can actually see White Hart Lane from where I live. Can you? Yeah. Well, I live, at, I live on a hill, and it's uh, oh, that was a joyous sight. I tell you what, they suffered with yesterday a red, not not snow, but a red wave, a red wave. Because lads, let's be honest, it's Spurs, right? That should be that's the title of our podcast this week. Well, we can do that. Listen, I, I, I'm still buzzing after yesterday, last night, yesterday. I mean, it was, I was emotionally invested in that one, weren't you? Yeah, and I think it's. Um, 
I think there's a proportionality involved with the anger, bitterness, vitriol at the a certain decision when we went in at half time, and I think we needed. It was almost it made the pleasure of the victory five times bigger because of that. The I, pleasure, I, pain I principle. And I think you know the added spice that it's against Jose, and Jose's got so many relationships, good and bad, with Manchester United players, and we can see history repeating itself um, at Spurs and the mess that they're kind of in. You know, yesterday people have to remember. There was a lot of pressure on Spurs because they still were in the race for the top four, but Chelsea won at the weekend. Um, West Ham had won. Leicester had got beat, which has sucked Leicester back into that race for the top four. Liverpool won, so they're kind of back into that race for the top four. So there was a lot of pressure on Tottenham tomorrow to get, a, yesterday rather, to get a positive result. Which was why it was ever more baffling that, I can't call him Jose because it's that's too friendly, that man Mourinho chose his um, defensive, cowardly, um, part-the-bus mentality, especially when they want, when 1-0 up. They had everything to play for. And it was reminiscent of the first time he did it with us when we played Liverpool, when he was United manager. It was reminiscent of that. It was a, a fear, an unwillingness to go and attack. Because Tottenham, Tottenham are best, and they were, pretty, they were decent in the first half, terrible in the second half but um they are best when they're an attacking counter-attacking team and that's the philosophy of Tottenham and he chose a negativity that I think has he, I and I don't say this lightly but he's such a toxic force um in any football club nowadays and by bringing him on board they've sucked the life out of Tottenham like like he did like he did United and I think he's opened the door for Kane to leave and that's the price you pay for inviting the vampire through your threshold. Well, let's dissect them because I think the first thing I noticed um, was our fitness in the last half of the game. Bearing in mind, we played Thursday night in Granada. We'd not got back till the country till Friday afternoon. Tottenham had a lot more rest. Now, when Jose was at, I'll keep calling him that just to annoy you. And when, <laughs> um, when Jose was at Old Trafford, one of the things that we all criticised us for, one of the things Ollie's first said was, our players just aren't fit enough. They're not fit enough to go 90 minutes twice a week. And I think if you can read in some dispatches how Jose got rid of a lot of the sports science there at Old Trafford and changed a lot of things there and preferred to go a little bit more old school in terms of whether a player is capable to play or not. And I thought, you know, from a... Ollie's doing a madness in so many ways for me and we don't celebrate him enough and we'll come on to the reasons why we should... I think we should celebrate him shortly. But our fitness was so much better that we can get into the last game, the last 15 minutes of that game yesterday. We won it in that time. And our intensity level never dropped. And I think, you know, the physicality of the team that Ollie's put into it um, can't be underestimated. And that's a, that is a reason why, quite frankly, you know, we've got 23 league games away unbeaten. That is um, an outstanding achievement. And secondly, we've had nine comebacks this season from being a goal bound from away games. Um, that's the joint second in the Premier League ever as a record. Nine comebacks. I mean, that is a fantastic signs of team togetherness, of spirit and character. Ollie deserves more credit. He does deserve more credit. <clears throat> and I think we've all been guilty at, at points of, um, of not giving him enough credit and doubting him. 
I think um, those statistics, uh, they speak volumes. And I think his tactical awareness also is is a little bit underestimated. You know, he's gone... Um, his substitutions have provided 15 goals. They've produced 15 goals this season. That's three more than any other manager. And I think that's pretty impressive. You know, Fergie always had his 70 minutes change the players, you know, bring on, you know, take off a defensive midfielder, stick on an attacking force. Always at 70 minutes. Oli sometimes, he's brought them on earlier and he's changed it when when change was necessary. And I think we give, we give him, should give him credit for that. I think that's a great stat, that is, because I didn't I didn't know that one. And what's so good about that stat is that Oli has been got a lot of criticisms for the timing of his substitutions and not making them soon enough in the past. And getting them wrong. And that's a lot to do with sometimes about how he trusts his bench and trusts his squad to maintain the level of quality. I think when we saw the team sheet yesterday, everyone thought Pogba was going to be back on the wing again, left or right, and how that compromises Rashford. But the truth is, the reason for that is in big games, and he showed Tottenham a lot of respect there as a big club in seventh place, that Fred and McTominay do the business in big games. They protect the back four, but they also, crucially for me, uh, are like dynamos in the middle of the park because they cover every blade of grass. They are aggressive in the tackle. And he trusts them. He simply trusts them. Let's go through the game yesterday then and um, dissect it in a little bit more detail. Um, but we'll go player by player differently and this this time. Henderson, um, first of all, Ben, he seems to give an, a, a calmness and insur- an assurance to Lindelof and Maguire. And he he's been put back into the league games now after De Gea played on Thursday. And he made a couple of crucial saves at crucial times again yesterday, did Dino? Well, funny enough, if I can remind you of what you said prior to the international break, you said the goalkeeper that Oli picks after the break will be the number one choice at, at Old Trafford. And he's gone for Hendo. And I think that speaks volumes. Now, I think he is number one. I think De Gea will probably, if the right, if the price is right, be sold in the summer. Um, I won't go into that because he's been a fantastic player for the club. But you said the word assured, and I think that's, that's probably bang on the money. He is assured. Um, he commands his defence. His distribution is really good. He bosses it. He shouts. And he's got great legs. Why? Well, I think his legs are important, Ben. I think it's a great point. His leg, his great legs are important because what he's great, where his great legs take him, is further up the pitch as his starting position. So when the ball's played over the top, he came out a couple of times yesterday and cleared it. Where normally De Gea would stay where he was, leading, leaving Maguire and Lindelof to chase it. But this time, you know, I thought Henderson has a higher starting position meaning he can clear danger earlier, which is something the best goalkeepers like Neuer and Ter Stegen and Edison do exceptionally well. I think that's a fundamental difference in in goalkeeping, which means the whole team can push up the pitch Agree. and put pressure on. And I think Pep made that decision very early on in his tenure at, at City, you know, bringing Edison in for big money when they already had a decent goalkeeper and it was that ability to play the sweeper role. And Hendo does that. Fullbacks yesterday were very influential, particularly in that second half, Wan-Bissaka and, and Luke Shaw, weren't they? 
Yeah, I mean, sure, we sank, we've, we've eulogised about Shaw enough uh, this season. He, you know, he he gets better and better. But let's hand it to Wan Bissaka. He bossed that right hand side. And I think who was the is the left back? Is a is Regulon, isn't it? Regulon, a yeah. player that turned down. He turned us down, or do we turn him down? Anyway, he was almost he almost joined us. Thank God he didn't. They um they owned him. They bossed him. He was in there. You know, he was in their pocket. And I, mean, I, I thought he thought it was great. Wan Bissaka defensively was outstanding in that second half. Hung Ming Sun. Looked scared every time he thought he had to take him on because he knew he couldn't pass him. He just had him in his pocket, you know, alongside when he plays Raheem Sterling. And that's the thing when, you know, Wan-Bissaka gets criticised for his ability on the ball. That will get better. That will definitely get better. And it has got better. And his attacking prowess has got better. And his instincts of what to do in the final third can all get better. But what he's got is a defensive, natural ability for tackling and jockey which in big games will make you win them. In big games against top, top players at world level will win them. And yeah, I thought, yeah. Bambasaka, you know, to be overlooked fifth or sixth down the line of England right-backs isn't, isn't fair to him because a top-level competition, and I, I think you need a right-back who can defend. Kyle Walker can't defend. Rhys James can't defend. Trent Alexander can't defend. And yes, you've got to weigh up the attacking versus the defending thing. but. I think in big games, in that inside left channel, you look at the World Cup semi-final even against Croatia, the both goals came down that side. And a proper defender may have done something, a natural defender who instinctively knows what to do, um, could do something about it. And I think he's coming on leaps and bounds. I think actually, funny enough, if we get a right back to challenge him next year, I think he'll be even better because he'll be a bit fresher in games. Because he's playing twice a week, every minute of every game he pretty much plays. And I think he'll get even better in, in, in games next year. So Wan-Bissaka for me next year, watch out for him. I think he's going to do a madness next year. It's a bit, I don't know what's going on with Brandon Williams because he, he, came, he, he came out of the blocks, starting blocks, um, at left back. But his, you know, he is a right back and I'm not sure why he doesn't start more. But anyway, that's probably a topic for another discussion. He isn't quite there yet. And clearly Ollie's seen something in his training where he's not at it at 100%. Um, Maguire and Lindelof yesterday both had their moments, both good and bad, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, Maguire got caught a couple of times, uh, poor positioning. Uh, we got easily turned a couple of times, but you know, he, he did pretty well. Lindelof, I, 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 he did, there was a big block against Ndombele um, at 1 1. I remember that one. He's, it was pretty good in the air. He out for the goal, though, didn't he? The Sun goal, Lindelof. I'm, I'm, I've tried to look at that goal a couple of times this morning to see who... Because it looked like our defensive line was out of shape because Wambasaka had to come inside to cover Kane. And it looked like Lindelof and Maguire should have been one back over, which le- I couldn't quite work out who's at fault. Yeah. Because uh, you're Lindelof being highly critical. Yeah. I think if you're being highly critical, sure, but that was a, a, a sublime touch that, that would have caught out some of the best of them, I think. Um, you know, I think credit where credit's due. I think, honestly, I think Lindelof had a slightly better game than Maguire, but... I think Maguire's been outstanding the last month, six weeks, you know. I think, you know, a couple of times he's taken... He took a chance on Kane, didn't he, when he should just clear it out and Kane's going to be cute and he's going to win the ball and Maguire had to pull him back and get booked. It was a silly booking. They're, they're the things Maguire gets booked at. Anyone running past him or turns him on a one-on-one, bit of a problem, he's going to pull him back and he gets booked that way. Um, but, you know, he's played every Premier League minute, every pl- Premier League minute 
since he arrived in 2019. That's that's a pretty outstanding achievement to keep yourself strong and fit to do it. Um, and I think Maguire's getting better, and I think a large part of that is also Henderson. And I think so. He gives him. I think so. I think that's that's a large part of it is Henderson. And I can't help think that if we had a... Well, we go. We can come on to that as well. But it's that you know, two holding midfielders in front of them. It should be shielding him a lot more. I just wonder if we start playing a bit more adventurously and not have the two holding midfielders and have one and a, and a bit of a player and a ball carrot. Whether he'd be, if he's not as protected, whether he would get caught out a little bit more. But that's you know, he is getting better and better. And I think a large part of that is how quiet Kane was. I mean, he was isolated up front largely to do with Mourinho's tactics. But he was isolated, but it caused no problems. They were smart because also I thought what Oli did quite smartly tactically was whenever Tottenham had pretty much had the ball and tried to feed Kane a lot, McTominay was pretty much stood in front of him. So mm. they couldn't play in front of him, particularly if they were trying to play it long. Mm. Uh, I thought that was smart. It was an old Duncan Ferguson trick Ferguson used to do. He used to get, where was in midfield, just stand in front of Duncan Ferguson because it's just harder. And then let him head it and react off the second ball. I think United did a great job uh, there in, in stopping the ball from getting into Kane yesterday and McTominay um, did a good job with that. But let's talk about Fred because um, I think it's a Fred Emption. It's a Fred Emption. <laughs> uh, and we need, we start looking at Fred's, what Fred can't, can do much more and giving praise to that more than what he can't. Well, he scored and got us back into it. 1-1, even though, let's be honest, I thought he nearly missed it and we couldn't really celebrate it because we didn't know if it was offside after all the VR fiasco of the first goal. But Fred, he, he's the dynamo within the team. He's the energy of the team. Yeah, well, I'm still ambivalent about Fred. Yeah, he had a decent game. He was probably one of our better players. Um, but coming back to that, that, that other point, though, do you find that you can't celebrate goals immediately like we used to? I didn't celebrate the equaliser. I find it with every goal now. I find I'm looking. I'm looking for the excuse as to why it's going to be ruled. Well, after the after the start of the first goal, uh, which we can come on to uh, now, because that it, it was, I guess, crucial in lots of ways to our performance and staying calm. Because you saw me on the WhatsApp group, and I was not calm. I, I was fuming. I mean, I was shouting and screaming so much. The neighbours thought there was a murder going on. <laughs> I mean, I was. I mean, I was watching it with mum and dad and I think I woke them both up from their naps for sure <laughs> made them jump because I was so angry about it because that's, I was angry on a couple of levels. One was like, how can we let, why are we all just shrugging our shoulders about it? Why are we all just going, right, oh yeah, Vars done that again. Why are we not going apoplectic with rage? Because if we were, we're paying money for this and the rules are not the rules of the game. That, that that can never ever be disallowed. That goal, for one reason, in terms of how you think football should be played, it was a natural movement. The second thing is, in terms of the rules and how the rules work, one, it was a long way back, right from from the goal actually happening. McTominay paid the ball square and still had to get it into Pogba. It was a long way back. Two, why are we refing the game twice, right? Why is the referee saw it, didn't give it, and he was pretty lax for the first half hour anyway on any kind of on any kind of physicality. Um, why did the ref why did the VAR referee get involved and then show him a slow-mo and only a slow-mo 
for him to um, judge it, it shouldn't be it should be disallowed because by definition if that is a foul every time I touch you is a foul right it's can, a foul can so, I just say I thought it I thought it was a foul and McTominay should have been sent off you did I'm not fucking, I'm fucking with you you did not right? <laughs> I'm that's, fucking with you of course not I was apoplectic that's enough because I'm going to go <laughs> there will be a murder we were all we were all enraged I think it's so big that you feel that you're the little man, you can't do anything about it. It was absolutely heinous decision. And you're not alone. Everybody agrees. Everybody agrees. But without without the money of the little man, they all have nothing. If people don't watch it, if people don't turn up, if people aren't enjoying it, if people can't celebrate goals and get the emotional attachment into it, people aren't going to pay money for it eventually. Certainly now they're already worried about the kids and the next generation. Our generation is fine because we're stuck in it. We're kind of addicted in many ways. But the next generation of kids, they're not watching 90-minute games. Well, you know, they're, they're not going to sit through and watch, and watch it. So, like, and then, and that's where the money is so the pe- players can get paid. And the refs are, uh, you know, the refs are being like refs, jobs worth refs, sticking to, the, to being like traffic wardens without using their common sense. But they're, oh, you're, the they're badgering. They're badgering the witness. They yes. are, and they everything looks worse in slow-mo. And absolutely, the referee has judged it as such. There wasn't clear and obvious, whatever that means these days. And also, um, VIR did one good thing this, this weekend, and they, they chalked off a perfectly decent Liverpool first goal. But apart from that, I cannot wait to see the back of this. It's it ruins things twofold. One, it it judges after the judgment's been made, but also I can't. And as I said earlier, I can't celebrate a goal no. anymore. No, because I'm looking, and it's those first few seconds of euphoria that make football. But yeah, if you exactly. score a goal, then you're just waiting five seconds. Hang on, hang on. Someone's going to say something somewhere. I know the referee hasn't blown, but let's. Oh, here you go. Some twat upstairs. Has, has looked at a screen and is and, and has decided to get involved. I mean, I mean that's and, and why they get involved because they've got this fear culture going on. I mean, I think we have to find if we're going to be serious about it, about what we need to do with VAR. Is I think first of all, the offside law is causing a lot of the issues about the fractions of where the line is drawn and where how you work out someone's offside, right? That is a problem. The offside law, for me, I, my, my theory of this, of working, is take the line from the defender's foot, from the, on the, from the defender's toe, right? That's, if you're over that line, then you're offside from the furthest back defender. Because at least, well, I'm scoring my foot, and then I can, and a lot, of the, a lot of the offsides that we're getting are close because it's your armpit or your hand or your head. Sleeve. Offside, right? But if you take it from the foot, you're going to rule out a lot of those offsides that bars are call um, are causing goals from. That is, I, I think that might be a solution that might work. There has to be a line somewhere. I get that, but it's called football. Take it from the foot because the point is, goal line technology. The whole of the ball, or you can do it another way. Whole of the ball for goal line technology has to be over the line for it to be a goal. So therefore, why isn't all of the attacking player? have to be over the offside line for them to be offside. It's like saying half the ball is over the line, therefore it's a goal. It's not right. It's not consistent. 
the, the, if you're over the line, you're offside. We've lost level. We're losing lots of goals. And fundamentally, we're losing the emotion, as you say, of what, why we all love football, of that fraction of a second when the goal goes in for the first time. It, we just can't let it... We just, we're going quietly into the night as fans, I think. We're not shouting uh, loud enough about it all. We're really not. There is there is another part to, to have played in that uh, that VAR, and that's the um, I'll say it, son is a cheat, and he's the worst kind of cheat. He's well, a cheat that gets his fellow professionals into trouble, and the entire Tottenham team who went remonstrating after the referee, disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful, and that is a reflection on the disgrace of a manager that they've got, and that is a, re- a reflection on modern day football, but Son is a cheat and I wouldn't feed him for days after that. Well, listen, if, if Ollie still didn't feed his son and, Ollie, and Son's not going to get fed, we have the perfect man in Marcus Rashford to sort that out. <laughs> I'm sure Marcus get him a sandwich. Get on a sandwich and a pat lunch or something to make sure he doesn't go hungry. <laughs> I mean, of all the comments to have come out, he hasn't... People, that's a testament to how much people love Ollie. People have not gone to town on him for that. It was a metaphor for behaviour. <laughs> Jose used it as a distraction, as Jose does yeah, for exactly. his performance. And the exactly. one thing you watch the Amazon doc um, on Spurs, when Jose was in the changing room the first month or two and challenged them, challenged the players to be horrible. Challenged yeah. them to be horrible. Yeah, and I remember him using the C word. The C word was quite... Yeah, I'm going to refrain from using that as a Fauna family podcast. And I think, you know, the players all got round him, got round the ref yesterday, because that's what players are doing with the rules of the game. There's so much money at stake now, they're going to do anything to try and bully and harass the referee. But you know what? None of that mattered because of Edison Cavani's performance yesterday, who I'm in love with that man. He's a beautiful man. He was involved in the disallowed goals with a fantastic bit of movement. Fantastic bit of movement again for Fred's equaliser. And then, you know, the perfect, I think a perfect number nine finish is a diving header. Mm. Right? It's, it's it's archetypal paradigm of what being a centre forward is all about. You don't see enough of them these days. You don't. You don't because of the way defenders defend and the low blocks and all that rest of it. And the chip and the lob have gone out of the game. But Cavani... Oh, I'm, I'm in love with him, Ben. He can't leave Manchester, can he? No, it, the, there's no eulogy high enough. I, I had to watch the, I had to watch it again on Match of the Day because you know that's what you do. You watch it, you watch it first, and then you watch it, see what see what Jermaine Genius has got to say about it. And there was a, I don't remember, I don't know the female footballer that's the the, the co-commentator, but she was brilliant. She summed it up, and the eulogising on Match of the Day between those two, the sublime. He was um, otherworldly. Alex Scott matched the day yesterday. Alex Scott, she was really good. Yeah. Um, otherworldly. He, if, imagine if he'd been in the Premier League since in, from his mid-twenties. Can you well, imagine I mean, the destruction that man would have caused? You brought up something I said a few weeks ago about the De Gea Henderson uh, issue. Well, something I also said a few weeks ago was about how Cavani could get annoyed by he's moving and they're not finding him. Yeah, he's right. screaming at Rashford. It's um, at Mason, yeah. And I've been saying that for a few weeks, watching his movement, and I could see his frustration because the ball wasn't coming early enough. Yeah. And apparently Ollie said after the game yesterday, I'm taking full credit for this, Ollie said after the game that we had a meeting about it to find his runs. And that's exactly what happened in the game. They were looking for them because he's going to make them and he's going to kill Eric Dyer. I mean, he's going to absolutely murder him with his movement. Uh, and I... He, 
his timing is impeccable. It is, it is so good, his timing. His one, two touch play outside the box. He's moving. He harasses. He was chasing things down on the right wing in the 90th minute for a 34 year old lad. Oh, I want him to stay just so he can know how much he's loved at Old Trafford because I want him to hear a crowd in August know how much he's loved and he could have a fantastic year with him. Yeah. Um, and for me, he was our match winner yesterday mm. and everything we've missed over the past few years. Long, late, long may he reign. He should chat with Henrik Larsson because Henrik Larsson a few weeks ago said that his biggest regret was leaving United a season too early. And I think that should... Yes, I think he'd regret that significantly. It was all about his movement. And do you know what really pissed me off? There was a couple of commentators that a match of the day was won, and I read one of the match reports in the papers that said, oh, but at the other end, he almost scored an own goal with this header. No, he didn't. He didn't. He saved Sissoko coming in with a header to score, would have made it 2-2. He not only scored, but he defensively cleared a goal-bound shot. And that was magnificent. Don't understate that. He's brave. He's everything I want a Man United centre-half to be. He's Uruguayan. And then, if we're going to be, you know, stereotypically general generalisation of that nation, they're nasty at football. And I like that um, when they're on the pitch. And, and with loads of cases of, of Uruguay being breaking the rules. I Enzo like Francescoli. Remember him in the World Cup? Yeah, well, there was Lord Suarez for the handball in 2010 on the line, remember? And they Garner missed the yeah. penalty taking them through. You know, yeah. loads of examples. Cavani has to stay. I really hope we can stay. It's important because it's going to affect um, what we do in the summer, I think. Well, we'll talk about that in the second half because now it's half-time on the Man United Redcast and we ha- we are contractually obliged to listen to some of these messages. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Manchester United Redcast with me, Chris Curley. And because, sadly, Dan Riley failed a late fitness test today, uh, it's on, Ben Paul joins me to discuss all things coming up at Old Trafford. Ben, second half, Cavani has saved us. If he stays at Old Trafford this summer, does that dramatically affect our transfer plans? No, I, I don't think so. Because you don't wait around. If the right player comes up, you don't wait around. I think Cavani is there um, to teach the, teach the kids as much as anything. Um, he won't play every game next season. And I think if we get a young, a young foreign striker to come in, I think Cavani will help bed them in as well. You know, and no names here. I'm not talking about anybody that's called Haaland, but I have it on good authority that he's, he's imminently going to sign for Manchester um, City. 
Um, when you say, can you define good authority? Is it like a delivery driver who's who's no, is it food? It's Aaron Paul? Oh, the BBC Five Live, <laughs> Aaron Paul. I mean, I've heard that too for a while. That the Harlan deal is kind of kind of done. Um, and all right, that's kind of fine. But there is a lot of resurrection of talk in Harry Kane. You know, he's 28 in July. If you could get him for under 100 million. We are winning the league if Harry Kane comes to Old Trafford next season. How much would you spend? Um, I'd spend 100 million. Plus I might throw in um, Jesse Lingard or whoever they want, frankly. If you read some of the papers, Jesse Lingard's value has shot up to 60 million. But... um, I think there's good reason. Jesse Lingard, right, since February the 1st, scored eight Premier League goals, right, which is more than Mane, Grealish, Foden, Mount, Firmino, Werner and De Bruyne. What, put together? Well, no, but he scored more than all of them. He's only been playing in February. Don't, let's, let's, Messi Lingard. It's nine games. It's nine games. Eight goals, three assists, nine games. But Messi Lingard could save us transfer summer. Yeah, he's a massively important cog in that wheel now because of his performances the past few months. We were thinking, you know, fifteen, twenty million, fob him off, put cash in the pot. But now his level is such that he becomes a negotiation tactic, as will David de Gea, as will Paul Pogba. And what's going to happen to Paul Pogba? I'm inclined at the moment, if Pogba won't sign a contract, I'd make him play out his contract for another season quite frankly, because I think the money it takes to replace Pogba, I don't think there's a player out there that can do it, maybe Grealish, but I would keep Paul Pogba there for a year and say, go on, go on a free when you're 28, 29 then. We'll have you for another year and we'll get involved in that. I think Lingard has become a, uh, it is becoming, if he can stay fit and keep scoring goals and keeps his performances high, which I think he will, um, he becomes a transfer cog and a bargaining chip for us to use in negotiations. Yeah, no, I totally agree. He's um, he's a player that always needed to play, and it was as much for Jesse. He's a decent bloke uh, here, and as much as for, you know for football on the whole, players like that deserve to play. What the hell he was doing with his f- celebration yesterday? I think Kino described it as what he does after a Bacardi and Coke. I've st- I've drunk in the same pub as Kino for many years. He's never drunk a Bacardi and Coke. Well, people forget. I've forgotten how Kino got arrested and put in jail the week of the cup final in '99. <laughs> you know, probably after a few Bacardi and Cokes. Actually, I, I, I want Lingard dancing like that. That's all part of like um, the brand and image rights thing you can sell him on. And yeah. Jesse will suit being a big player in a medium club. That's where. That's where. If he's, you know, what we've seen here's an interesting thing. I think in that big clubs stockpile players, right? Therefore, making their leagues less competitive. And a lot of players don't get to play as much as they should. Never have really good players played less, actually, because the big clubs have 25 massive, huge stars in their squads. Yet Lingard is a great example of someone who can be uh, be trained and brought by a big club, but go to a medium-sized club and make them better and the league more competitive and much more interesting. And I would like to think we might see more of this kind of thing where um, leagues get stronger and more competitive. Because in the broader picture, that will save Spain, it will save Germany, it will save Italy, uh, their own internal leagues, 
because the same people keep winning there all the time, which means is why they want the European Super League to be expanded, which is a complete disaster for um, individual nation football, I think. But you're, on a, you're on a crusade there, Chris. You're on a crusade. Well, I've just segued from Jesse Lingard, dan- your Jesse Lingard dancing to saving European football. <laughs> Can I segue there again a little bit? Do you remember we went to that game in in '99? I think it was May time in uh, some for It was the capital. It was a, a city in Spain. It wasn't the capital. I think it was Barcelona. Um, do you remember how we won the European Cup that night? And um, we went dancing down the Ramblas. I went back to my hotel to to find um, the United team staying there. Um, I found all the players in the ballroom downstairs. Only I could get in because I was staying there. I got on the lift with Ollie and I'm like double taking. I'm like, oh my God. And then um, Kino, because he obviously wasn't playing that that game, sadly, he was there in his suit at the breakfast bar with a girl, bottle of champagne. I went to bed maybe three or four o'clock in the morning, got up for breakfast, nine, nine o'clock maybe. He's still there, same girl. Three or four bottles of champagne later on that table, um, same suit, hadn't moved. The man knows how to, he, he knows the finer style, he's, he's got style. Well, you know, that says more about you than him, about going to bed the night we won the European Cup final. None of us, I didn't, I didn't go to bed, I was stepping over people I went to school with on Las Ramblas going, Ducky, is that you? <laughs> that, that was my night. I'm lifting in a, an inflatable European cup and have everybody going, oh, hey. Yeah. Going, oh, well, on the it. statue. I remember And that. if you were there on the statue, there was this woman in this yellow vest top who was um, celebrating high on the statue down Lord Ambulus. And she ended up coming back with my mate, Ryan. <laughs> uh, and, and, but if you were there in Lord Ambulus and listening to this that night and you remember that woman because she was unforgettable, um, that's what happened to her. She's alive, as far as I know. Well, she was alive when she left Ryan. Um, <laughs> and Ryan, was... now, but Ryan now lives in Australia uh, soon after that. So maybe he escaped for reasons I just don't know about. And left I wish we had iPhones back in those days because the photos we would have got, the... uh, I had, I had all photos. the players sign my shirt in the hotel afterwards. The... It just... Well, I would like photos to believe that story of yours. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've got the shirt. <laughs> I've got the shirt. The first shirt yeah, signed by the team. You can buy them off eBay now. Those things. Uh, do you know what? Andy Cole was looking the other direction when he signed and he managed to sign over all the other signatures. Well, I took my... Um, the neighbour next door, Danny, was like 12, 13 in 99. He was 12. And we took him to the cliff to get autographs and he ran across the car park and nearly got knocked over by a car. Fortunately, it was Andy Cole driving because anybody else would have hit him. Hey. It's a true story that I turned into a, a joke. Um, <laughs> we've got a big week ahead. We've got Granada um, at home this time, local derby um, at Old Trafford. 2-0 up from the first leg. Comfortable scoreline. You'd expect us to go through. Expect him to rotate and rest a few people. I'd like him to rest Rashford so he can recover from his ankle um, a little bit. Keep him on the bench yeah. if need for emergencies. But Thursday night, um, we're expecting a comfortable uh, journey into the semi-final where we play Ajax and, or Roma, and Roma have a lead in the first leg for that. Um, and then, of course, Burnley at home is on is the Sunday afternoon match and the lighter Premier League fixture schedule because of the FA Cup semi-finals. Ben, how's this week going to go for you? 
Well, it was quite a hard watch, the first Granada game. It was, um, I don't know, we ground out a, a victory I, against Minnows. Um, it was, I mean, it was never in doubt, but it, it still was. It wasn't the most entertaining of, of, of advertisements for the game. No, it wasn't, um, was it? No. Rashford, though, credit to him, took his goal beautifully. Um, I think we well we got we got three booked didn't we I think we so we're forced to re- to rest Maguire Shaw and I think McTominay. Um, it's be... not a bad thing probably. Not no? a bad thing you know where yeah. he had to play two and Zebe now you'd, you'd think right at centre half. Well, what's, what's this? What's going on with Bae? Is he? Well, you know he's still in Africa. He's still in the Ivory Coast. He can't come back until he's had um, <sighs> a, a clean test, <sighs> a negative test. Okay, well, turn to AB. Turn to AB and Tellez will probably start. Yeah. Matthews will start in midfield. Um, he might play Donny and rest Bruno. Um, he probably will um, hopefully give Rashford a rest. Ahmed might get a game. I mean, he doesn't want to make too many changes because I think he needs to start the game strong. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with maybe a half-time, be flexible enough to do it and kill the game off, really, with a, with a goal. Yeah, but that's what I would hope. I'd hope he comes out strong in the first half, then 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 rests them. I don't want too many too many changes at the beginning. But I'd love to see Ahmed. I really want to see him play. Um, well, also, you know, look, ahead of the weekend is Burnley's a massive game, right? Yeah. Um, because we could with our that is our game in hand at the moment, and we'd only be eight points behind City with um, six games left to play. And you know, which, which is the same as when 2012, 2012, and the, the other way around. But well, we were third last season, and we were 33 points behind City. The gap could be eight points as of Sunday night. It is massive progress. Burnley are a tough nut to crack um, at times, but I think we need to like put our foot on the gas and put the accelerator down and and crack on. Yeah, I agree. I think Burnley, we've 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 had some some tricky results against them. Like, we, we, didn't we lose last? Was it last season? It was a low point last February. I think um, Burnley did beat us at Old Trafford, and yeah. it was like, oh, what's going on here with Ollie? This is quite depressing. And yeah. in the following week, we bought Bruno. Ah, there we go. So that, is, that we can't underestimate how difficult a team like Burnley are to break down. Um, imagine, I mean, Pep is a bottler. He is actually. And imagine if we do go eight points behind with six games to go. Imagine if their next couple of games they draw. It doesn't have to. Doesn't have to lose them. Couple of couple of draws. Suddenly, you're looking at four points between us. Well, he rested. Remember, a large part of that team looking ahead to the Champions League this week, thinking they could still be good enough to beat Leeds. Leeds um, did them. Uh, did a job on them. And we've got Leeds in a couple of weeks, which will be tough for Ellen Road, of course, because it just always is, and they're a decent side. Um, if he does have a couple more Champions League games, he'll have two semi-final legs. There's opportunities either side of those games, maybe, where they could drop points. And I don't get anyone's hopes up, but the point is, we've got to just crack on now at the end of the season, put our foot down, win some football matches. Because uh, actually, we've got some tough fixtures coming up after Burnley. It's, I think we've got Leeds... We've got Liverpool, Leicester and Aston Villa. So they're not gimmies. We're going to have to play well to win those matches. Um, but I just want to see United show the character and belief and uh, that they've shown yesterday and continue that into the rest of the season. Um, and I, I, we'll have a good summer then. Yeah, yeah. Well, talking about the summer, it's, it's, it's all transfer talk at the moment again. And I think there's 
without, you know, skewing too far off the subject, there's a few players that are very, very hotly tipped for us. And we keep hearing the words Pau Torres, Pau Torres. You tipped him last season. I remember you telling me. Yeah, you did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, listen, I'm not saying they're listening to this podcast and particularly listening to me, but maybe they are. I mean, I was talking about that swap shop stuff with Martial a few weeks ago. That was in the papers last week. Declan Rice and Lingarda was talking about that a month ago. That's all been in the papers this past week. Let's just be honest. I'm in the wrong job. I'm doing this for free for fun. And I should be earning some money off this kind of analysis. Yes, Sorry, let me just read my scripts. Yes, you should be, Chris. If Clever people out there should hire you for, what did you write here? For lots of money. Pau Torres, he's a left footer. He's quick. He's tall. He's got physicality. I think he did. And and you can get him for less than 40 million. He's looking good. I think there's a load of nonsense being knocked around with... um, players that aren't even left-footers. And I think Canate is tipped for Liverpool at some ridiculously low fee of like 24 million. Yeah, but his injury record of last seasons does not make me want to... doesn't fill me with enthusiasm. You know, he gets injured a lot. Mm. And, we, and we've had that with Eric Bailly. Might have all the qualities, but if you can't stay fit, you know, you know, good to me. Um, Pau Torres is, is an interesting one. Um, I think you'll find in he'll be partnering Ramos... Um, in Spain, central defence at the Euros, he will be the number one choice for that, alongside Sergio. Why and is so, he going to Real Madrid then? Well, he could still might. I mean, Real are in, Real are still interested. Um, I think that's the key time where when you do your deals pre Euros or post Euros, because realistically, right, if the Euros happen, you're not going to sign anyone till into pre season in July. And I think there are a couple of deals that you want to try and get done uh, before the Euros start in the uh, in early June, end of the season in May. If you're really seriously interested in Rice and you want, and Lingard was happy to go to West Ham, then I'd be making sure I got that done. I need to know about Cavani, so I decide if I'm going to go for a centre forward and spend the money that I need to on Haaland and Kane. If I don't, I'm going to buy Sancho out and he can play in the right wing to feed Cavani. Green would be number nine alongside rotating with him next year. That's kind of my plan. We'll have to see what happens, Ben. But there's plenty more weeks for us to discuss that in in um, in the last in the final furlong of the season. Yes, there is, Christopher. So thank you for joining us, Ben, once again uh, on the Manchester United Redcast. I enjoyed myself. Did you? Yes, uh, very much so. I'm actually off to get my haircut. Huh? I'm going to say that is probably a wise decision. Uh, <laughs> United fans around the world, enjoy today in the sunshine or the snow. Um, it was a satisfactory, satisfying, fantastic performance. Um, big weeks to come, big games to come, and we'll discuss them here on the Man United Redcast. I'm Chris Curley, and come on, you Reds. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at unitedredcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.